from the Center for Conscious Communication, this is Leading Life. Hi everyone, my name is Stacy Carruth. I'm the founder of the Center for Conscious Communication, and this is Leading Life, a podcast spotlighting women business leaders who are making a difference, following their passion, and challenging the status quo. Today, my guest is Alicia Bynum, a licensed acupuncturist and the founder of Sweetgrass Acupuncture and Wellness. Welcome, Alicia. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. This is great. I've been looking forward to this conversation. So let's just jump right in. I wonder what you studied in school, Alicia, and what did you think you would be when you grew up? Ooh, good questions. Um, I spent most of my high school years focusing on art. I really wanted to be an artist. And so my undergrad degree was a Bachelor of Fine Arts in Graphic Design. I had this idea that I did not want to be a starving artist. (laughs) So my solution to that was to do graphic design, which I thought was like a more palpable or successful way of doing art, like still doing art for a living, but making websites, you know, designing logos, it felt like a good combination for me. Nice. So art was something you found a way to make money and do art and... Where did you go to school to study graphic design then? Yeah, I went to, I'm a Bobcat. <laughs> I actually was at a party the other day and I told him I was a Bobcat and he was like, well, I'm a Grizz. So for those of you not from Montana, I went to MSU and that is the home of the Bobcats. That's Montana State University. And the rivalry is the Grizzlies and that's U of M, like University of Montana. So that's in Missoula. Oh, Yeah. So you're from Wyoming and you went away to college in Montana, is that right? Yes. Okay. You got your bachelor's degree Mm -hmm. in graphic design and then went off and got your first job. You worked in Montana at that time? I did. I went through like an interesting series of jobs. My first job out of college was at a newspaper and I called it like turn and burn graphic design where you're making these like very small like they call them two by fours or two by ones where it's like the column Mm -hmm. and uh that was a really interesting job it's like learning to communicate with people it was very fast paced and I think interesting what what I remember about that job the most is that I was working at a newspaper during Mm 9-11 and so that was like a really interesting experience to be in the media and the news while that happened So that seems kind of like a moment I remember throughout my life. Yeah. Um, Then I worked for MSU in their graphic design department. But what I really wanted to do was work at this ad agency in Bozeman called Mercury. And they just had like such, they were fun. They were wild. Like, I don't know, just really really, where I really wanted to work. And so after a couple of years, um, I finally got a job there and that was great. Mm-hmm. I actually sent the boss. I made this like flying pig <laughs> and sent it in with like my resume. And I think that won her over. Oh my gosh. It so was, using your creativity. Yeah. Like I like made this and I don't remember why I had like a pig statue and I put like a cape on it and wings and like 
wrote up something, you know, what I thought was smart and funny about, you know, all the things I could do for them. So. Oh, I love that. I love the creativity. Yeah. I would definitely want to hire you after that. Well, thanks. (laughs) (laughs) So what did you learn in that job? That was something that you aspired to. You went out of your way to really like get that job. What did you learn in that job? And what did you learn about yourself, more importantly? Yeah, I think that job was a really pivotal growth time for me. It was in my, you know, early to mid, most of my 20s, I was there. And so you're learning how to be an adult, you're learning how to be an employee. Um, I think I learned so many valuable tools that I've taken with me into my next career. I think first and foremost, I learned that to be a problem solver. And I think that was it's this interesting shift in your mind. Like I felt very visceral where you'd be like, Ooh, my brain hurts so bad. But learning that like one problem can have multiple solutions was I think a great space to be in. Um, because especially in design and marketing and message making, you can make five messages and then one might land with the person who's paying you to make that message. And one message might land with the actual market and one message might land with your teammates that you're working with. And so you always kind of have to be on your feet and willing to pivot and change and budget change and timelines change. And so I think it was a really good exercise of learning how to be pivotal and move and always kind of looking for the next step. I think some other things I learned were how to be a good communicator. Uh, I think one of I think one of the skills I'm pretty good at is sitting down with someone and really understanding what they want. So I learned how to ask people what it is they want their messaging to be like, what do they like? What do they not like? Because when you're building brand messages for someone, it can be really personal. Like if that person has spent all their time making their own business, then what we create for them to market their business is really important. And I think through that too, I also learned how to be more intuitive and read people and see like how they interact, how they verbalize, how they dress. Like at the end of the day, that all actually gave me clues on like what I wanted to design for them. There's some psychology even that goes into some of that, it seems. And yeah, for me, that's how I was most successful in that business was just taking in that person, getting to know them, having a conversation with them and like reading the vibe, if you will, of like what I think would be a good fit for them. And then sometimes that alternately gave you a chance to give them a safe option that you know they would like, and then also give them maybe a different option that would push them a little bit Mm. and see if they like it or not. Mm. (laughs) Risk taking. Yeah. Yeah. So you grew in that job though, right? You started with the sending in the pig and getting the job. (laughs) And then where, where did you go with that? So I ended up, I was a designer there for two or three years. I took a break at one point and went to Europe and did the thing. And then I came back and was hired back as the creative director, which meant I was managing the design team and working with the other, um, like the AE director um, and a copywriter that we had hired from, I think, Portland. So that was a big step up. It was interesting and I felt like I learned a lot from it. I actually felt like I did a pretty okay job of managing people because I had done that work myself in a sense of time management, 
trying to build in deadlines that were comfortable for our team versus saying like, oh, everything is due in one day, surprise. Mm. Um, and working with the AEs, which are your account executives, that is a whole relationship unto itself where it's like you have these wild, crazy creatives chatting it up with the um, <laughs> more task-oriented, if you will, deadline-managing partners. But you have, to have, you have to have both. Right. That's what makes a good team. Right. And then that communication, how yeah. you can get through all of it is kind of the glue that gets everyone together potentially. Yeah. When it's Definitely. good. Yeah. So how long were you the creative director there then? I believe it was two or three years. And I felt like I had just gotten to this place where there's a very specific burnout rate in advertising and it says it's about seven years and I think I literally hit the seven year mark and I was like, okay, I feel exhausted. Mm. <laughs> it's just, it is a lot of deadline management. It's a lot of emergency work, long hours. It's stressful. And that kind of led to me making another decision, quite frankly, the pace of that lifestyle. Yeah, so you have this degree, you have the job, you work your way up to the creative director, and then life takes a turn for you, and you go back to school, right? Yeah, I quit it all. I bought a condo, I had the dream job, and then I was like driving to the grocery store, and I thought, I don't really feel as happy as I feel like I should feel. <laughs> and that took me by surprise, mm. because I think when you're in your 20s, well, you don't know everything, obviously. We never do. But I think that for me at that point in my life, there's this distinct idea that culture gives us of like, here are these checklists, right? To be happy. Like, go get a degree, then get a job, then buy a house, live in the place you want to live in. And I felt like, okay, I've done all these things and yet I don't feel completely satisfied or of worth. Which leads to, I think, one of the big events that happened in my life created that change of mindset so I was working in graphic design and I was the creative director but at that time I also started experiencing a lot of pain in my body and had a lot of issues and I remember going to the doctor and their two answers were well either you one must be crazy or two you have to have an operation and I just thought how is that possible when I'm in my 20s that these are the only solutions mm. <laughs> and so I went to acupuncture and I was so like shocked and intrigued and amazed that there was this very cool woman in this space that she had created and it was quiet and everyone there was happy mm -hmm. <laughs> and it was like this light bulb went off of like what my life could look like. Mm -hmm. One, that you could cu like curate it for yourself and two, you could have a different career that the pace wasn't so exquisite and that you were helping other people. Yeah. So a pivotal moment mm -hmm. in your life, mm -hmm. like a light shone on something different that you could do. Did your family and your friends think you were crazy for wanting to do such a, to, to give up what you had been doing because you had checked off all of the boxes? Yeah. Uh, yes, for sure. So <laughs> <laughs> to put it succinctly. Yeah, I think everyone was really surprised um, because I think that I usually am a pretty decisive person and I think everyone in my family and tribe had known that I'd wanted to kind of 
do the things I had done. And so then there I was. And so I was like, well, she should be happy. Um, but the other thing that did happen unexpectedly, as life does, is that my best friend in our 20s got breast cancer and it was stage four almost immediately. And so that also became a very pivotal moment in my life about what are we doing to contribute to our community? How do we want to show up in our lives? What actually really matters? Like, is what I'm doing fulfilling, but also is it fulfilling to our community? And I grew up in a small rural town in Wyoming and I would visit my friend and just watch her go through these terribly exhausting, you know, chemotherapy treatments, but also be like looking for other alternative healthcare mechanisms. And there just wasn't a lot to be found. And so I think because I'd went to acupuncture and felt such relief from it, and then I could see this need in our community, especially like rural Wyoming areas, I felt really inspired by that. Yeah, so these two things came together and you could see a need mm-hmm. and decided then to leave your job and go back to school. And what did that look like and where did you go? And tell me a little bit about the experience of going back to school after yeah. quite a few years. I mean, it took me a year or two to really decide what I wanted to do. Uh, I had to try on the ideas in my head, as I like to say. So I would think about what my life could possibly look like and then try to see, like, does that feel good? Does that feel bad? And just try on some different things. I think at that point I was really feeling, one, a calling to move back to Wyoming, but also, yeah, change my life. And so I did decide to leave my job. I gave them quite a few months' notice and applied to some schools. And I eventually ended up going to Southwest Acupuncture College in Boulder. And so Boulder, that campus is a satellite school of the school that they had in Santa Fe. And so, yeah, it was, well, everyone did think I was crazy. (laughs) (laughs) And I remember like my friends helping me pack everything into my U-Haul to like leave my condo in Bozeman and drive to Colorado and It was quite the adventure, but school was, I actually found school to be a relief. It was such a dynamic change from where I was, where I was like interacting with all these people, managing budgets, thinking about, you know, $2 million spent in the Chicago market, working 60, 70 hours a week. And then I got to this place and environment where my only job was to take care of myself. Mm -hmm. And all I had to do was like make note cards and learn. And I thought that was amazing. (laughs) It felt like a relief to me. Yeah. And that was your master's degree, is that correct? Correct. So I went to school for about three and a half years and got a master's of oriental medicine is what they call it. And so you get about... I, be- I picked the school I did, one, because of some of the specialties they provided, which was an OBGYN um, specialty, as well as a Japanese specialty called Kodatama Medicine, and but they also provided the most clinical hours of most of the schools, which you get about 1,200 clinical hours, and then I, somewhere like 2,000 other hours, like learning theory and herbal medicine and all those things. 
So you learn to poke the needles where they need to go and not yes. too deep and all yes. of the things that you need to know as an acupuncturist. That's, that's a real trust critical. fall, huh? It's like you get really, you're like held accountable to the people in your classroom because if you poke them too hard, you're going to see them the next day. Yeah. So everyone's like all very gingerly, you know, learning yeah. how to palpate each other. And we would totally joke. Like it is a whole thing. Like, I mean... There is that really interesting dynamic that there I was in this life where I was just on a computer screen all day long and then I switched to this completely different job where you're touching people, you're interacting with them, you're having very frank and vulnerable discussions about their health and some of the hardest parts of their life and... With that, you have to add a little laughter. So, like, we would, you know, joke that we felt like we were 14-year-old boys in school. Like, I don't know. Where should I put my hands, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what a big shift that would be. Like, a mindset shift. Yeah. And the, the whole experience of that. I'm just thinking how scary that transition would be. I guess just the idea of being an acupuncturist to me is like, okay, now I'm going to poke all of these, you know, needles into you and, and just the, the nervousness I think that I would have around that. So I could see where those clinical hours would come in handy Yeah. for the time when you were then on your own to be able to own your own place. I mean, I did get to a very, I personally got to a very distinct place in school where I was like, all right, I'm done learning. Like after three and a half, four years of going to school year round, like your brain is mush. And also like you get to this place I did where I just wanted to apply like what I actually was learning. Mm. Like you get to a point where you actually just have to go out and practice as they say. Mm -hmm. I'm air quoting, but you can't tell that because <laughs> we're on a podcast. <laughs> practice with the air quotes, right? <laughs> You finished school in Boulder, mm -hmm. and you said you were wanting then to move back to Wyoming, and so you did. You came back to Wyoming, and you started a practice in Riverton. I did. And now you're in Casper. Uh, I wonder, were you worried about bringing the, this very Eastern practice to a very Western state, and how did you navigate that? And you know, say a little bit more about why that, why that was important to you. Yeah. Well, as I said before, I mean, I felt pretty passionate about moving back to some rural place and providing this healthcare, which I knew is a dichotomy of ideas, right? It's like, I'm going to take this alternative holistic medicine to places that one might think are conservative. I do remember everyone at school just thinking I was just so crazy. They were like, you're going to move to Wyoming on purpose. Like, <laughs> At that time, they actually, we didn't have a board regulating acupuncture. So it was like literally moving to the wild, wild west where you could just put up a shingle if you want and go for it. But I truly felt in my heart that it was the right thing to do. And I think I just, I don't know. I just had, to, I just did it. I just, I don't know if I willed it into happening. I just trusted my gut. That's what I thought I needed to do. And I also followed the signs. Like I think that one of the things I've always thought about is like, if it's meant to be, it should be easier. And if it's not, it might be a little harder. And I sent an email out to a friend and a chiropractor in Riverton was like, yeah, I'd love to have you come move in. 
He was super kind. He gave me very, very reasonable rent and made it possible for me to help start my business. And I think the joyful thing I've found is that like actually people in Wyoming are very attuned to nature and very willing to look at holistic and natural medicine. And so they have been great patients. I think that we have a lot of agricultural community. We have a lot of farm, you know, ranch and ag. And so, I mean, I would say my first 10 patients were like, well, if it works on my horse, it's going to work on me, right? (laughs) (laughs) My first patient literally was a farmer in overalls. And I can't tell everything he said on this unless you are okay with cuss words. But um, he basically just was like, well, thank goodness you aren't some, you know, quotation mark, crazy hippie. And (laughs) And so that was cool. Like, and then I think eventually word gets out, you know, that I think if you can help people be comfortable in their bodies and their minds, like they're going to come to you no matter what, you know? So it took a little bit, but... It was great. I felt totally welcomed back, and I think things worked out well. Well, it seems to me that you really balance this kind of woo-woo world, potentially, and your roots in Wyoming, and maybe then going back to those conversations that you were having uh, as the creative director at an ad agency, Mm -hmm. And how you're able to talk with people in a way that is really welcoming and not weird. Yeah. Do you think that seems that that really contributes to your success as an acupuncturist in in Wyoming? I wholeheartedly agree with that. I think that I do think the thing I'm really good at is matching a patient's rapport, showing up for them. Uh, and being there with them in a way that makes them feel comfortable. So I pride myself on being able to talk about pivots if that's what they want to talk about. I pride myself talking about if you want to talk about chakras or if you want to talk about, you know, microdosing, whatever. Like, I will try to show up for you and help you as you see fit. And But I have also made very distinct, very specific decisions in my messaging, in my websites, in my especially locations like the clinic spaces that I've had because I want people to feel very comfortable. So I choose specific colors and tones and imagery and like cowhide rug and, you know, landscape imagery. Like I, I was taught and also I learned by doing that when you put too much of a different culture's messaging into that space that no one can relate to. They don't feel that comfortable with it. And again, like we can talk about chi and meridians and all the tools that I use as a Chinese medicine practitioner. But if you as a patient don't understand what I'm talking about or see how it helps you in your life, that's not a win for you. So I always talk about like, how are we going to help decrease inflammation? How are we going to help you get out of pain? How are we going to manage your stress levels? And then that comes with like talks about food or talks about exercises and then acupuncture. And I was just trying to verbalize things and put it in an understandable space so that that patient can relate to it. So it sounds like you're very intentional about all of your messaging, whether it's one-on-one, in your space, all of your, me- your marketing is very intentional. 
Yeah, I believe so. And I think that one of the amazing things I learned by not being in graphic design anymore was to let go of this idea of perfectionism. Like, I remember we would sit there and just stare at paragraphs and artwork for like hours and be like, oh, should be a semicolon. Oh, there's a space between these. And there's kind of a beauty too of when you're just marketing for yourself where you're just like, this is good enough. And I had a great business coach who taught me that. Like, if you always try to strive for perfection, you're probably actually not going to get anything done. And it's Mm going to take you so many more hours and so much more effort versus if you write a Google ad that says, you know, fertility, pain-free, Casper, Wyoming. Done. (laughs) (laughs) Which is also freeing. I would like to say I fully manifested a business that I rarely do any marketing because I wanted it to be that way. Uh, and so I feel good about that. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, you had a vision and you made it come true. Yeah, You've done like, a lot of man, work to I do don't that. want to market anymore. So <laughs> I have like two Google ads and a Facebook page I barely look at and a website and it's good. <laughs> well, let's talk about who you help then. I heard you say something about babies and food. And I know looking at your Facebook page that you have a day that you have a discount for veterans as well. So talk to me a little bit about that, who you're helping. Yeah, so I find that being in a rural Wyoming community usually lends you to being more of a general practitioner. So some acupuncturists in bigger cities specialize in specifically fertility or specifically for sports medicine, but I tend to probably be more across the board. That said, there's probably you know, eight to 10 things that I think acupuncture is really good at, or at least that I'm good at treating with acupuncture. And so I treat a lot of women for fertility based issues, which can be prepping you for IVF. It can be helping you conceive without any of that. Um, It can be for just regulating your hormones. So I work with a lot of menopausal, perimenopausal women. I work a lot on anxiety and stress management. And then, of course, like the other big bulk of my business is just pain, like hip pain, leg pain, ear pain, whatever pain you can have, like we will try and address it. I do do veterans work in when we were in Fremont County, we would have a free day a month for veterans, which I hopefully would like to reinstitute at some point. I just need to manifest my other practitioner to come help me with these things. Um, And we do give discounts for veterans or work with the VA. Um, I do appreciate that community and want to be of service to them too. Um, and then we work with allergies, gut stuff, but yeah. Also the last weird interesting thing about my job is that I always get the people where I'm the last stop, right? (laughs) Like I've been to every PT doctor, no one knows what I'm talking about. And they'll be like, can you help me with this one you know, ran, I don't know. There's some people show up with some random stuff. <laughs> and you're like, okay, well, I'm going to give it my best shot. But I think the thing I really love about my medicine is that it is actually really old shaman medicine that's just based on nature. And nature has, you know, thousands of different expressions. But if you know what they are, they make sense. So a lot of times people will come in and be like, well, ABC happens to me. And I know that sounds crazy. And I'm like, no, totally sounds perfectly normal. It makes totally much sense in our medicine model. And I think that gives people a lot of relief because they, they want to just be heard and have someone be compassionate towards what they're feeling in their body. Mm. 
And not to be weird. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, they don't, I think we don't want to feel like we're weird. Yeah, but also, like, then you're kind of there. I love that idea because then it's like, but then you're also there for some kind of weird medicine to fix your weird problem. But, like, I mean, I'll stand in weird with you all day long. Like, let's do it. At but least yeah, we're like, not people, weird alone. <laughs> yeah, don't be weird alone. But, yeah, I mean, I think people just want someone to listen to them. I think at least half of the time, just listening to your patient, they'll tell you exactly what's wrong with them. Mm-hmm. Like, in just conversation. Like, I think one of the things I love to say to my patients is when they're talking, I just say, say more. I believe that's a Brene Brown. Mm. Is that a Brene Brown? I learned that somewhere. But just asking them to talk more and then they'll often be like, well, I mean, that is when my mom died. And I'm like, oh, okay. Well, there we go. I just need to work on some grief. God, it just like my mind goes 100 miles an hour when you talk about that. Because I'm like, so much of what is going on for us is emotional. And oh, yeah. It's a, manif- it's a physical manifestation of an emotional issue that's happening. Yeah. Completely. I mean, that's, I think that's the bread and butter. I think the body is so cool and weird and science is proving more what I think a lot of us more intuitive, empathic, uh, holistic practitioners have always known is that like when you feel an emotion, you're, that is a cellular response that your body still has which is why you get a migraine when you get stressed or when you get nervous you feel like throwing up or that is a real mechanism happening in your body and so you have all these like stored old things and emotions and feelings especially if you don't know or have never been taught the tools or you don't have the time or whatever it is that you don't get to like process all those emotions yeah yeah well we have a thought and that creates an emotion and it releases cortisol mm-hmm. and it creates inflammation mm-hmm. that then left untreated for a long time then turns into something. It's all just And your brain so is a muscle. Like I see it as a muscle. Like when you always have this thought pattern, you're training your brain to always do this one thing. It's like, I always did that trail run. I'm going to go on that trail run again. I only know how to turn left. I mean, in horse talk, like, you know, when I first got my horse, it's like, I will only turn left. I will never turn right. <laughs> You're like, no, you can turn right. <laughs> so I always tell my patients that too. I'm like, your brain is just another muscle that you get to exercise and guide to do a different thing. We're just never taught that way either. It's like, just do squats and hope for the best. <laughs> <laughs> what is the, what's the best part of being a business owner? Ooh, good question. I think there's two different really good questions possibly here, right? What's the best part of my job slash what's the best part of being a business owner? Well, (laughs) I was having drinks with a friend the other night and we were talking about having to work with large groups of people and go through these minute processes and bureaucracy. And at one point I was like, you know what I know about myself? I was like, I know I don't like that. (laughs) She just laughed at me so hard. I think... For better or for worse, I've gotten to this place where I really have, I get to make decisions for myself and that feels really empowering to me. Like, I don't know if I would ever want to go back to working for someone or working in an entity, mainly just because I like the freedom of just like answering to myself, making my own schedule, doing those things. Um, That said, I mean, the buck stops with you and there is like real decision fatigue and, um, 
I don't know. I think there's like a beautiful glory and a beautiful just raging scream factor about owning your own business, right? Which you probably know too. Mm-hmm. Like you have all the power to succeed and all the power to fail. Right. But in my experience, taking the big risk have been worth it. As we've kind of talked about before. I love you, mom. But sometimes I know if my mom's like, should you be doing that? I'm like, I should probably be doing it if it scares my mom. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. I think the best thing about my job is that every day is different because I just get to hang out with the weirdest, coolest, funniest people all day long. You know, sometimes they really touch your heart in return. And it's hard. You have to hold a space for people. One of my patients died two or three weeks ago. I have another patient who we talked about him dying soon. Mm -hmm. Those are like big moments, but also like what an honor to like show up for that person and be part of their healthcare providing system where they feel safe and taken care of. Well, and maybe something that wasn't available for your friend years ago totally to be able to be that person to listen and offer an alternative in a beautiful space where people feel loved and and supported yeah I do think there is this like really beautiful underbelly of I mean I know Casper's like the best giving city right like I just think in some of these small rural communities there is just so much love and so much willingness to help out your neighbor and I feel that like too, like I think that I create a community with my patients that is lovely too. And that feels great. That's like a benefit to me as well. Like I've learned the last couple months to actually like take help from them if they offer it, you know, like Mm. when I moved my offices, so many of my patients were like, can I help you move? And I was like, what are you talking about? (laughs) You know, but yeah, people show up for you too. So that's great. Yes. You've created a community it sounds like Alicia yeah I hope so and I think you know I just want to like celebrate and respect all the like cool people who are brave and crazy enough and weird enough to live in some of the places we live in in Wyoming you know absolutely (laughs) so you're a Wyoming girl at heart and ranching is part of your lineage and recently you decided to buy a horse now When I talked to you earlier, you were saying that learning and growth is really important to you. I'd love to hear about how you are growing this relationship with your horse and learning about yourself, stretching yourself in in meaningful ways through this new relationship. They're fairly new. Yeah. Yeah, I think I've had my horse probably three years now. And before that, I was taking riding lessons and using other people's horses and when I was young and cool and flexible, I would like ride bareback when I was like seven years old, you know? Mm. (laughs) But I think one of the other things I wanted to do when I got back to Wyoming was like retrieve that part of myself. I don't know. I just always felt a sense that I wanted to have a horse. I think there's something like about being the most powerful, beautiful version of yourself for me, at least when I'm on top of a horse, like out in the wild, because being in nature is like being in my church. And I feel like I took away a nugget this, I feel like, oh, talking about my horse gets so emotional. Mm, (laughs) I took away a nugget from this clinic I went to this weekend about 
the exercise of feeling safe and close. And I think that's something in my life that I have lacked. And so I had this aha moment where I think that's one of the main reasons I have a horse is like, how do I learn to feel safe with this giant, amazing animal, but then also feel that safeness in such a proximity. Like you are literally on top of their back and they are bigger than you and they are a sentient sovereign being. And so how does that relationship come into play? So I don't know. I know there's like a really deep need I have to like retrieve also this ranching ancestral DNA. Like my grandparents owned a ranch. My mom, you know, grew up riding horses like, you know, down the river and being so cool. And like, I think I just want to be that way too. But I've also had to learn in the last couple of years that like you have to create that vision for yourself, like your own um, interpretation of that. Because I think just like anything, when you want to be this thing, then you can get really caught up in comparison culture. And like, mm. well, this person uses their horse to barrel race and they're in rodeo and they're doing all these things and they know how to rope. And like, I just say there's a little bit of a way in Wyoming to like get up on that like wild, how hardcore are you? And I've just had to learn a lot in the last couple of years too of like, how do I want to interact with my horse? How do I want to be with them? What does that relationship mean to me? And I am lucky enough and have made a decision to like have my horse be my therapy. Mm. So I don't necessarily need my horse to like go gather cows. I like to do that, but I don't need it, you know? So I think there's like a different when a horse gets to be your therapy versus your job. There's, I think hopefully a little freedom in that where you get to like explore it in a different way. Hmm. Well, Alicia, I love how you seem to just make your way through life in this really amazing way. You have an, an image of like what you want and you go after it and you don't get stuck there. It seems like, okay, now I'm going to try this. I'm going to get really good at it. And then you're not afraid then to pivot to something else that is calling your name as well. And it seems you've done that through going to the ad agency, getting your graphic design degree, um, really taking that pivot to acupuncture, and then looking at how are you going to really dive deeply into your Wyoming roots and and own a horse and then grow in this really amazing way in yourself and in your relationship with your horse as well. I think it's just, I'm admiring just your whole story. So Thanks. Yeah. I mean, I feel like I have to say for... I know as a woman, when I listen to podcasts like this too, like I want to be clear that there are moments of full diarrhea and stress <laughs> and scariness because I think sometimes when you do things that are authentic to yourself, they do feel really scary. And sometimes you, I think what I've been working on, especially last year or two is learning to like trust my internal voice. Like you can surround yourself with a beautiful tribe. You can, um, you can have like an altar of opinions, but I think also too, like what I think I've tried to do is trust my gut to make a lot of these big risky decisions. And most of the time it pays off. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Thank you so much for saying all that. That feels really lovely. I think sometimes when you are a business owner and you own your own business, there's very few people who are giving you accolades because 
you don't have a boss and so no one's telling you you're doing a great job they're not like looking at your you know quarterly income and being like good job Alicia (laughs) (laughs) so it is really nice sometimes to like hear that and also just recognize yeah like the bravery and scariness of like moving forward but I think personally, I'm always motivated by joy. Like, I just want to be happy, and I'm like, I will do whatever it takes to get me to happy town. Uh, I think that, I think that's a beautiful place to end, actually. <laughs> Let's just end on the joy, right? Let's end at happy town. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Alicia. Thanks, thank you for being here. I had so much fun. Oh, it is a joy to just be able to spend some time with you. So thank you so much for having me. Of course, you feel so lovely when someone's like, I want to listen to you talk for an hour. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I can return the favor. You do a lot of listening. So thanks. I'm happy to listen to you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Leading Life, a production by the Center for Conscious Communication, hosted by me, Stacey Carruth. If you like today's show, please subscribe on YouTube, Spotify, or Apple Podcasts. And while you're there, don't forget to rate and review us. We love seeing you spread the word on social media. You can find us at the Center for Conscious Communication on Instagram and Facebook. We always want to know who you're interested in hearing on the show, so send in your requests to Stacy at thecenterforconsciouscom.com. That's C-O-M-M. This episode was produced by Stacey Carruth and Ty Pierce. I'd like to thank Ty for his artwork and technical guidance. Music by Marcus Way. I'm Stacey Carruth, and you've been listening to Leading Life. And now for a mindful minute. There are many ways we lead. Whether you lead a team, a business, at home with your kids, volunteering in the community, or coordinating a family gathering, I believe we all lead in some capacity. No matter what your role is, it's imperative to take care of yourself, or you run the risk of burning out, or simply not showing up the way you intend. Small adjustments can have a big impact. That's why I'm sharing this mindful minute. One easy thing you can add to your routine starting today. The importance of breathing consciously cannot be understated. Breathing with intention brings us into the present moment, distracting our minds in a healthy way from worries about the past or anticipation of the future. Breathing deeply delivers fresh oxygen to our blood, lifting our mood and helping us de-stress and relax. To create a habit of conscious breathing, start by adding a few minutes to something you already do every day, like brushing your teeth, making your coffee or tea, or washing your face at night. My favorite breathing exercise is called box breathing. My interpretation of box breathing goes like this. I start by breathing in for a count of six, holding my breath for a count of six. I breathe out again for a count of six, then again, hold that out breath for six. Repeat for several rounds to reset at any time of day that you choose. Leading your life in your way is immeasurably more fulfilling when you take time to care for yourself. 
Besides, when you're more resourced, you have more to give to others. I hope you'll take a mindful minute to care for you today and every day, for you and for everyone you lead.